Welcome to a Rebel High Command Cast, an Imperial Assault podcast for 2023 and beyond. This podcast is hosted by the IA Command YouTube channel and sponsored by listeners like you through Patreon. If you want to support new IA content in 2023, head over to patreon.com slash command and become a patron today. This is episode number 13. I am your host, TV Boy, a.k.a. Noah, and I am joined by my co-host, the Second Flock, a.k.a. Wesley. How are you doing today, Wesley? Doing good. Doing good. Hope everyone out there is also having a fine day. Um, I just realized I did not hit record on OBS. There we go. All right, so we are on our new setup. We had some technical issues with our last episode, but we are now on Zencaster instead of just OBS. So uh, everything's triple recording, and uh, I think it's going to work out much better this way. Uh, <laughs> uh, today's On today's episode, we're going to be talking about agendas for campaign. And um, this is going to be exciting because I know a lot of people are have a lot of questions about agendas. They uh, one of the most asked for topics that I get for campaign. So uh, glad that you you suggested this for uh, this week's episode, Wesley. Yeah, I've uh, brought this up a couple of times. I've seen your other campaign tier lists and other videos about campaign stuff, and I keep thinking. You know, if there's one thing I actually need help with, it's this hundreds and hundreds, it feels like endless number of cards I have to somehow pick 18 of within like a five minute window when it's time to start a campaign. Any guidance on that would be nice. (laughs) And I think there are other people that feel the same. Yep. And there was no way I was going to make a tier list for that. So (laughs) we're doing this as a podcast episode. All right. Um, Let's do some community updates, and then we'll be back with the rest of the show. All right, in this week's community updates, we have the competitive Vassal League number three for Season 7 starting. Uh, If you're hearing this over the weekend, it's going to be starting the week after. Uh, But if it's still the first week, you can still sign up usually. Uh, Usually we do let people sign up late, at least during the first week. So make sure you sign up for that. I'll put a link in the description. Uh, Derek's going to be running the league again. It is going to be going back to the old form, which was um, four to five weeks of Swiss pairing. So one pairing per week that gets announced uh, and then a cut to top eight. So that's a lot of fun. Always fun to get paired up, get your pairing each week and have somebody to play against to schedule with. Uh, and then if you're interested in some list building information for IACP, check out the article that Dylan posted over on the uh, IACP main blog. Really great article, a lot of insights into uh, list building in IACP, especially deployment card synergies. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to uh, future articles from Dylan on that. And then finally, we there is a reminder uh, that signups are still open for uh, the IACP tournament happening at Adepticon on March 25th, and the signups are going to still be open through February 28th, so make sure you register. Uh, Adepticon does sometimes sell out, but uh, usually uh, tickets stay op- available through the sign-up period, which ends February 28th, and that's going to be a lot of fun. All right, back to the show. Blah, blah, blah. All right, we are back. So, um, first, uh, so normally we do comms chatter here, but uh, haven't been too much from you folks. So, if you do want to have your comments uh, read on the 
show, just comment on the video on YouTube, or you can send an email to iacommand01 at gmail.com, and uh, we'll read your question or comment on the episode if it's appropriate. So let's move on to the rules question of the week, where we go over a rules question that was asked in the community. That's interesting, and this one's actually for campaign as well. Campaign-focused uh, asked... episode. What's that? It's a campaign-focused episode. Yeah, you could say that. I like that. Um, so the question was, how does R5 Astromech work with supply cards? And then how does Slicer's upgrade work with, uh, with crates? So kind of a two-pronged question, but it's similar since they both have to do with allies and let me actually pull up the cards and um wesley maybe you can uh, handle this one uh, while i kind of pull it pull things up oh well i also kind of need to pull this up i did notice this question in the chat uh when it was going around and i think the first half of the question was if the r5 astromech which I believe is a supply. It's a card you get from the supply and it turns into a droid and you just have this little buddy that can run around and go up to crates and draw supply cards for you. Uh, but I think the question had to do with whether or not the R5 Astromech gets the supply card or if it's the hero that gets it. Yeah, exactly. So R5 Astromech is a companion that you can draw from the supply deck, like you said. Um, it has a special action that says Forage, use wall adjacent to a crate to draw one supply card. Limit once per crate. Um, and note, this is not the same as um, interacting with the crate. So you don't claim the crate, but you just get to draw a supply card. And then that crate actually stays there for another hero to be able to interact with still. Um, and the this is actually handled in the official FFG FAQ. Uh, there's there's entry for this, and it does say that the hero that controls R5 gain, basically gains a supply card, because um, you put it into the same play area as that hero, since that's the same play area as R5. Um, so the the other card that was asked about was uh, Slicer's, Slicer's Upgrades. And so this one is an upgrade card. It's 2 XP. Uh, it's one of the cards for the hero Gerard, which is from one of the expansions, Gerard Kelvin. Uh, so Gerard has a robot by default, J4X7. And the Slicer's Upgrades experience card gives J4X7 a new ability. Uh, it's double actions. You move up to one space, and then you can either interact with an object as though you are a hero, applying plus one surge to the results if it requires a test or an object adjacent to you suffers three damage and i think the question here is can you use this to interact with a crate and if so does j4x7 get the supply card or again does the hero related to j4x7 get the card which would again be jared um so it would be the same um, but I think the question was, do you, do they get to claim the crate token? Hmm. Uh, and the answer would be, uh, uh, yeah, it would follow the same ruling as R5 that you, that Jack, Jax puts it in his play area, which is the same play area as the hero. 
So effectively claims it for the rebel team. So in both cases, when you draw a supply card from these droids, they go to whichever hero the droid is attached to. Exactly. Uh, and in the case of the astromech, he's not actually claiming the crate, so it stays there and a hero can still go up and claim it. Yep. Whereas uh, J4X7, when he does it with the slicers upgrades, he's actually interacting with and claiming the crate on behalf of the hero. Because he can, because normally only heroes can interact with crates. Um, allies and companions normally cannot do that. But Slicer's upgrades changes the rule, so he, Jax is actually interacting with that crate as if he were a hero, which means yep. he claims the crate token, which means that the uh, the heroes get the fifty credits at the end of the mission, along with the supply card during the mission. Yep, and I don't know if there is an actual, say, rule that defines this. I think that this might just be one of the, the things where it was a little ambiguous and FFG came out and put it in their FAQ to explain that it works kind of the way that you would expect it to a lot of the time. I don't know if you disagree with me on that. Um, well, the R5 FAQ is specifically in there, but... Yeah. Yeah, so... I think that they just went and cleared up that the R5, when he draws a supply card, it goes to the hero. Mm -hmm. And you would do the same thing with when you interact with the crate with Jax. Yep. Yep. So okay, well, um, roll question. Moving on then. Yep. So let's talk about uh, games we have played. Um, so. I have not had a chance to play much uh, Imperial Assault in the last week. I've uh, been pretty busy with life stuff. How about yourself, Wesley? Yeah, we finally got a campaign going from the IACP Discord. Uh, we decided to run your Edge of Oblivion mini campaign that you come up with. Uh, mm. It's a, you know, for those out there who haven't heard me talk about this enough on the podcast yet, uh, it's a string of side missions from the different figure packs. And at some point Noah had said, Hey, these cards kind of never, or these missions kind of never get played, but it's cool content. Let's make a mini campaign. Just weave together some story elements and weave together the same kind of progression pacing for both sides as you would find in a regular mini campaign and make a four mission mini campaign out of that. Uh, just as an excuse to play with those side missions and I thought it was cool enough and unique enough that it kind of drew in enough people. So we got three players going. And we did the first mission of that this week, which comes from the Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, mission pack. So the players had Obi-Wan Kenobi with them. And I'd spent a long time getting ready for this, trying to prepare which Imperial class deck and kind of a little bit on the agenda cards what I was going to take. I wound up settling on the Hut Mercenaries uh, class deck. And part of the reason I did that is kind of at the beginning of the campaign, you find yourself trying to storm an Imperial base, but closer to the end, you start to go from these mercenaries to people that would be hunted by mercenaries. Um, to not spoil too much of what goes on in that, that storyline. but So I go with Hut Mercenaries, and part of the reason I pick it is because in this mini campaign, you start with 3 XP, 
And so when I was looking through the class decks, I went, okay, what kind of crazy 3 XP card can I get? And just to start off in the first mission. And there's actually one for Hunt Mercenaries that says something to the effect of, okay, once per round you can exhaust this card to see through figures, to make line of sight, to attack someone that has one of the bounty tokens. Um, so in, in Skirmish we call that priority target. So you can see through figures and you add a blue die to the attack. I'm like, oh my god, that's like one to two you know, if I'm super lucky, maybe three damage extra on an attack. And you see through figures. So that on top of the regular zero cost, just once per round, plus damage or plus surge on one attack. It's like, this is crazy good. I'm going to basically just explode once per round on a big attack and, you know, do half of a hero's health bar in one shot. So what was also interesting is we were preparing for the mission. The heroes start with 1,600 credits. They're looking through all the Tier 1 items, picking out stuff. They get the 3 XP. Uh, the Imperial in this campaign starts with a 0, an influence. But they noticed that the first mission's threat level is 2. And they were like, well, we have the experience and credits of, of a set of heroes that have played through two missions already and would be going into Tier 3. Uh, threat level three and they were like well why don't you just why don't we just do this on threat level three <laughs> i was like i was like well i think that that only helps me i don't think you guys get anything for that and one of the players was like well i don't want to like increase the threat level of every mission in the campaign but why don't we just say like it was supposed to be two three four five why don't we just do three three four five and see how it goes so they give me the threat level <laughs> um the the game still ended in their victory, though, even with the extra threat level. Oh. So I do actually think, because we looked at the other FFG mini campaigns, they all start at tier level three as well. At least two of them do. We looked at two of them. Um, yeah, so did Edge of Oblivion originally. Yeah? did. Was there a reason that got turned down to two? Yeah, a lot of people complained that it was too hard. At three. I I found this to be a tough one for the Imperial. I think somewhere around round four, like early round four, they had not opened the doors to the final area yet, but they had basically gone through all the time-gated uh, triggers for the event. So the only thing I was going to get was the door open event. But the beginning of round four... I had zero figures on the map and zero threat. And so from there, they were able to just kind of heal up and grab the last of the terminals they needed. They got to run and get all the crates. Uh, then they got to open the doors and round five and six was basically them just getting the objective. And I think I had a couple death troopers, a couple Imperial Royal Guards, and an officer. Uh, the officer did not get a turn because he had three health. Now, I think there were several things that made it hard for me to do much against them. I think they they were very experienced collectively. So they had a Loku who could increase damage, you know, with his uh, recon tokens. They brought Onar, who they built as a support. 
So he got the one XP card where you can do any of your tests with your fist dice and you can roll a punch test. And if you get two surges, you don't use an action once per turn when you interact. So essentially he could grab a crate and still have two actions. He could grab a crate and move two and still have two actions. Um, Or he could, you know, interact with a door and move two with strain and still have two actions. And yeah, it's a good card. You do have to test fist and get two successes, which is kind of hard. They also have Obi-Wan Kenobi with them. And in campaign, Obi-Wan Kenobi gives you an extra surge when you test with, if you're within four of him, I think. So that became something that was basically guaranteed for Onar. What was, what I found even scarier though, was Gerard. Uh, They brought Jared and there's a three XP card for him that gives him plus one defense and it gives his robot plus one defense and it gives him plus one speed and it gives his robot plus one speed. And Jared has an ability on his healthy side where he can exhaust a melee weapon to add a block or an evade to an attack. So I would like shoot him with a stormtrooper first mission of the campaign roll perfect on the stormtroopers dice. He would roll two blocks, have one and eight and just go, Oh, I exhaust a weapon that I have no other abilities that will make me exhaust. Uh, Your perfect attack does no damage on my average roll. So, I kind of had to focus some big damage attacks on Jared to start whittling him down. And at one point I brought in a pair of sentry droids to help me do that. And I got him down to like 5 or 6 health. And the issue then became that I would also have to fight Onar, who was healthy, Um, I was able to wound the first two pretty quickly. It was actually starting to look in my favor. I wounded their Loku and their Verona in the first two rounds. Uh, And I was glad Verona was out because I know she can be kind of a nightmare too. And weakened, she's a lot less of a hassle. But I, it was like so hard to get any damage on Gerard. So I started bringing in sentry droids with their pierce two and finally started getting some traction. But the issue is then when you have a figure with a lot of pierce, and then you look at Onar, and you don't need Pierce to fight Onar. You need more damage symbols. So a plus one is better than Pierce 2 against Onar, whereas the Pierce 2 is way more effective on Gerard. So I kind of need both. And now the weakness of the Jabba's Mercenaries bounty token system is kind of setting in, where I defeated Loku and Verona. So now my class abilities are only going to work on Gerard and Onar until I can finish them off in some mission. So, you know, it, it carries over mission to mission. So at this point, I'm like, okay, this Gerard is kind of a nightmare who is very hard to take out. And I kind of have to double down on taking him out. But that means the players know how I'm going to play for a while. Onar, I think I can take him out, you know, with a few rounds if I really want to. But Gerard is is going to be really hard. Yeah, he's a tank. Yeah. I didn't know that. I did not know much about Gerard. I talked about that in one of my videos. Um, yeah, he's a tank, and he is... Once he can get armor, because his only weakness is he only has 10 health, which mm-hmm. is very low for most heroes. 
Uh, once he gets some armor and gets that HP up, he is very hard to kill. Yep. And um, I'm guessing they bought him another weapon, so he has another second weapon to exhaust. Yeah. Yeah, he bought... I don't know what he bought. It wasn't Punch Dagger, because I think Verona has Punch Dagger. But he bought a weapon that was pretty effective. And on top of that, his, his little robot, you know, it only costs two strain, but now that it has a block... It's like two or three like attacks that I would need to spend just to kill the robot. Mm -hmm. And all that takes is two strength for him to bring back. Yeah, so you don't want usually go after the robot. Yeah. On the other hand, it might be an effective strategy because if I get him close to dead and have a few attacks that I think won't get any damage across left... If I use those to take out the robot, then he's going to have to pick between the double rest or the robot. Um, because, what was the what was it? The robot adds a plus one, and I think, oh, he got Gaffy Stick. So when he attacks, he basically is Pierce 2 when he attacks. And then you have Loku adding a recon token sometimes. So now it's like you have plus damage on one side and piercing all my defense on the other side. Sounds like they have some really good synergy in their team. They do. And I would also say that, you know, anything like near the end of the mission, I just tried to put my last couple of units in front of the last door that they had to open. But I mean, they have Obi-Wan. He, he can just push them around. And he can also push them in around in a way where the Royal Guards in that mission don't have the ability to defend anyone else. The officers aren't going to get the rerolls because they are being pushed away before they can defend. So it is definitely a tough puzzle I'm going to have to deal with, especially if they keep choosing to bring Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, man, this campaign Obi-Wan is so much better than he is in Skirm. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least in the environment he's in. I do agree, though. Two ranged pushes <laughs> per round is is pretty strong. Yeah. And the plus one surge, like if you could add that to an attack mm -hmm. in skirmish, this would be way better. Uh, wait, sorry. Plus one surge. Oh, for the attribute test? Yeah, if you could add that to an attack as well. Yeah. In skirmish, that would be good. Um, but even in campaign, you do actually use tests, you know, all the time. So wherever they are necessary, Obi-Wan's just like, yeah, don't worry. You know, it's fine. Part of the reason I picked Edge of Oblivion is because I'd also played through it. And I think on the third or fourth mission, there is a few effects that are like, oh, the heroes have to test, but if there's an Imperial nearby, get minus one to the test. And I remember, I think that's the finale even. And I remember I just brought Obi-Wan for all the missions because I wasn't finding it too strenuously difficult against the app that I was playing against. Mm. And I was just like, oh, so I get minus one surge, but plus one surge. So I just need to roll at normal. And, you know, I have pretty good chances anyways. Okay. Yeah, the minus one surge is pretty brutal. Yeah. But again, yeah, I had Obi-Wan countering that. And I wonder if the those guys will too. And uh, what's worrying a little bit is going into this next mission. We did the upgrade stage at the end of the night. Uh, Gerard bought high impact guard oh yeah that's the other one so now he can add three blocks to a single attack and also his damage is higher 
Yeah, and then if he gets laminate armor, it's it's over. He's going to be indestructible. <laughs> and I have to take him out if I want to get bounty tokens on everyone else again. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so the more you know, I take out, the, the less my class deck will function. But at least so your like class deck counter. is built to kind of counter that. Yeah. Um, I was going to get to where the heroes all upgraded at the end of the mission. We are keeping me three threat from mission two, threat level. So that's not going up. Uh, I had two XP after the mission, and I want to save for the four XP card. So I didn't get any new XP cards. And then I drew my influence cards, and I actually found I pulled both of the two that I wanted to get in this campaign that I'd set up the deck for, but they required two influence, and I had one. So I had to put them back, and I looked at what would have happened if I had won the mission, and it was like, yeah, you would have gotten two influence. And I was like, mm. man, I really could have used one of these agenda cards right now. <laughs> it's one of the deplete ones that would have helped in every mission. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I just had to sadly put that back and go, okay, so the heroes are even stronger, and I'm going into mission two with the same setup I had in mission one. But I've got some good feeling that whether I win or lose Mission 2, I have a few mission effects looking ahead that might help me take out Gerard. So I'm hopeful that I can maybe reset the whole bounty token thing pretty soon and gear up for Missions 3 and 4. Yeah, maybe your uh, Rebels want to do like a hard mode then. Uh, maybe. I mean, it wasn't... It was a complete stomp at the end, but for the first two rounds, it felt like I was stomping them. So I think we're going to have to play a little more and see, you know, if there's any change we want to make. But it did feel like, yeah, they were like, well, we don't want this to be too easy. We want it to be a challenge. And at two threat level with all of this stuff, it doesn't feel like you kind of have a fair shot, Mr. Imperial player. So they bumped me up to three and that felt good. You could just follow the Twin Shadows um, schema, which is 3, 4, 5, 5, because I think Edge of Oblivion's 2, 3, 4, 5. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm surprised that they said that they, you know, people had said that that was too hard. I don't know if their Imperial was more experienced or not, but it feels like I'm playing against people that are at the same kind of level. So... I think three was appropriate given how much um, how much setup the players get and how much I know that the Imperial tends to get starved for influence in a mini campaign, from what I've heard. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Although I usually default like if I have to pick one side or the other, I usually make it easier for the rebels. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's just better for the group as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's why when I lost, I was like, well, it's not that bad. I had fun playing with all these units and they got to run around and use their abilities and crush it in the last few rounds, but there was enough tension and enough points in the mission that, um, you know, wasn't a complete stomp. So I think everyone got a good game out of it. So if you guys 
listening want to try this mini campaign. Um, it uh, uses the figure packs for Obi-Wan, uh, Grand Inquisitor, Greedo, Alliance Smuggler, and Bantha Rider. Uh, and I believe you also need Twin Shadows for the Bantha Rider mission, or one of the missions. I think the Bantha Rider mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find it over at uh, Board Game Geek. If you just Google Edge of Oblivion, uh, version 2.3 is the newest version. And you can download the PDF. Yeah. Yeah, I've had fun with it. Uh, and I would just say that even if you don't have Twin Shadows, that was the one mission in the campaign where it splits into like a choice whether the Rebels win or lose. So you could always just run the other mission if you kind of go down that path and wind up needing those tiles and don't have them. I think you could still play the campaign and just do the Alliance Smuggler mission instead of the Bantha Rider mission. Yeah, there's no um, custom missions in this campaign. It's just all the pre-existing missions for the packs. But what the PDF does is it um, connects them all into one cohesive story um, with a bunch of flavor text. (laughs) And and with uh, mission rewards. So it kind of makes it into a mini campaign. Um, The same way that like Twin Shadows has the special mission rewards um, at the back of its campaign book. Mm -hmm. All right. Should we move on to our main topic? Yeah. All right. I'm going to let you kind of lead us off here because I think you have, you're a lot more into it right now than I am. So I'll kind of chime in at the end with my uh, favorite agendas, but I'll let you kind of go through it. Sure. So today we're going to be talking mostly about agenda cards. As we'd mentioned earlier, I kept noticing that, you know, whenever I want to play a campaign, and this is just one of the things you have to do is you build an agenda deck. And I've looked online and there's not too much guidance on what you should take as an agenda deck. Like I think one of the most popular threads for, hey, what are the good agendas is from six, seven years ago when the game had just come out. We had maybe one or two of the figure pack waves out. So there was maybe 10 to pick between, and you had to pick six sets. Uh, So you were just kind of leaving behind four of them. Currently in the game, um, this is just something that's a little overwhelming, especially the bigger your collection is. You go to start a campaign and you look at these cards... So agenda cards are split into these things called sets, and each set is made up of three cards. And what you do when you want to start a campaign is you pick six sets to build an 18-card deck that throughout the campaign, after each mission, you'll, while the rebels are over there upgrading and playing with the shop, you're going to shuffle your agenda deck and draw four cards and you can spend your influence that you gain throughout the mission, kind of like rebel credits uh, to buy these agenda cards. And they all have different nefarious effects to improve the Imperial side or weaken the rebels. So like I said, when the game started, the core set comes with six agenda sets, which is exactly enough to start a campaign with just no choices. 
Now, there's an addendum. There's an amendum to that. Uh, the core set does come with the Darth Vader figure pack. You can basically just say that that's a part of the core set at this point, though. So the core set basically comes with six plus one agenda sets. Each expansion after that comes with two more agenda sets to improve your collection. And every time you get a villain pack with like a figure, you know, Jabba the Hutt, Hondo, Onkawa, Thrawn, every one of the game's little figure packs that are for scum or imperial units are called villain packs. Each villain pack comes with one set. And I kind of counted up, there are 23 villain packs, so that's 23 more agenda sets on top of the two per expansion with six expansions and the six plus one in the core game. Winds up totaling to about 42 agenda sets total with 126 cards. And every time you start a campaign, you have to pick 18 of these. And not just 18, but you have to pick them in the sets that they come from, the pre-populated three-card sets. So it's like, okay, you have to pick three out of 42, but each of these choices you have to know several things about to decide if you like it or not. Uh, and that just kind of seems overwhelming. So we're going to be talking about the different kinds of agenda cards, how you can use them, and I'll get into some of my recommendations at the end. We'll get into some of Noah's recommendations as well. So building the agenda deck, uh, we mentioned you start with six sets you're going to have to take in each campaign. There is a small caveat. So if you're playing a full campaign, you just pick six sets, you make an 18-card deck, and you shuffle it up. And that is your set for the campaign. That's your deck of influence cards. If, however, you're going to play a mini campaign, like the Edge of Oblivion we just talked about, but the official campaigns being a Twin Shadows mini campaign, the Tyrants of Lothal mini campaign, or the Bespin Gambit campaign, those are all mini-campaigns. Uh, they're default four missions, so they're a lot shorter. You can expand them with certain other missions from different figure packs. There's rules for some of that. But the, the core of it is that there are no actual side missions to these campaigns. These campaigns are four-plus missions, but you don't just go do random things and try and get random characters to come join you. and You don't do that part of the campaign experience with the mini-campaigns. For the Imperial, a lot of the agenda sets have one card in them that basically says, play this side mission, and if the Imperial wins, you get a reward card. So you, we'll talk more about how that works in a bit, but you can spend your influence to put a side mission in play. In a full campaign, you just do that, and the Rebels have to pick whether they want to play it, in a mini-campaign, there's no campaign structure for side missions. So when you build an agenda deck for a mini-campaign, you actually have to take the side mission card out of any agenda sets that have a side mission card. And not all of them do. So when you do that, your deck actually gets a little smaller. And that's actually something I used uh, talking about my recent game. I intentionally picked several sets that had a side mission because I wanted to get to certain cards and be able to draw them because you only drop four per upgrade stage. So I think I wound up with four sets with side missions and two without. So I had to take out those four side missions and that left me with a 14 card deck instead of 18. 
And you can put a little strategy there in picking, say, certain cards that you want to get and making it so that when you do draw your four cards per stage, you're more likely to get four of the ones that you want just by the total deck size being smaller if you're playing a mini campaign. Uh, no, I don't that's know if you have really any good. thoughts. Yeah, that's, that's really good uh, tech. Um, I think mm -hmm. I remember doing that too, where it's like, if you, so you said 18 to 14, but theoretically you can get it down to 12, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a great way yeah. to increase the consistency of the cards you draw, because you draw four each round, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get to pick from those four. Yeah, unfortunately, I had gone into this idea with two specific agenda cards that I wanted to pull. And I think at least one of them came from a set with no side mission. So I could not get it down to 12, but I did get it down to 14. But theoretically, you're right. 12 is the minimum you could do. And did you mention that the later expansions introduce a limit on how many agendas you can have? Uh, yeah, we're going to get to that. Okay. That's a little further down. Okay, you go ahead then. Yep. So... Yeah, we were going to talk about the different kinds of agenda cards. So you have discard agenda cards, shuffle agenda cards, uh, deplete agenda cards, and the side mission agenda cards. So when you pick an agenda, and I think if you look at the FFG rules, it kind of goes over the four different kinds of uh, agendas you can get. <clears throat> but it basically gets broken down in three or four different ways. So when you get an agenda, it'll usually just say on the card, hey, put this in your play area, or it will say, hey, put this in the side mission area when you buy it, or it will say, hey, keep this card a secret when you buy it. Uh, so depending on what it says, you're going to keep it in that, that right spot. So if, it's, if it goes into the side mission area, you just put it by where all the side missions are, and the next time the Rebels have to pick a side mission, they're going to have that there as a choice. Uh, and if you have a mission, if you have an agenda card that says keep this secret, you keep it in your hand, uh, you'll play it based on what the card says it does. And for the secret cards, the rebels get to know how much, how many cards you buy, and they're also allowed to know how much influence you have or have spent on cards. So if you're going to buy a secret card for two influence, then they know that it's a two influence card. And then they don't know what it is. And at some point, uh, when a certain trigger goes off, usually the card will say, hey, play this when X happens. And I believe it's optional since it's a secret and you're revealing it to the rebels. So you can save it for the right moment. So, you you know, if it says, oh, when a rebel gets wounded, you can reveal this card and focus two of your figures. So you keep that card in your hand as a secret, and the players would know that you had one card in your hand. They wouldn't know what it is or what its trigger is. And then at some point you're on a mission and you wound somebody and you're like, oh, let's keep the tempo up. And then you play your secret card and suddenly two of you guys are focused that are about to attack. So that's kind of how the secret cards work. And then you have other cards that go in your play area. And those ones are shown to the rebels and they know that you have it there. Normally, these go on the deplete agendas, or ones that are going to have a persistent effect. Um, 
But then the rebels are able to see what they are, but you're able to usually use this effect more than once. Or if you're not, you're able to just leave it out there until it's time to get played. Now, most agendas, when you use them, they're kind of one and done. Like, like the secret one we just talked about, oh, you play this when a rebel gets wounded, uh, two of your figures get focused. Normally, that an agenda like that is going to say, then either discard this card or put it back in the side mission deck. So you have some that just get used and they go away. You have some and you'll never see them again for the campaign. You get some that will get used, and then you can choose if you want to shuffle it back into the side mission deck or the agenda deck. Uh, if you shuffle it back into the agenda deck, then you may be able to pull that card, rebuy it later in the campaign, and use it again. And then you have some cards that don't actually go away. They have a smaller persistent effect, and some of them have the word deplete on them. So if you have a card that says deplete, it means that you can use it once during the mission. And when you deplete a card, its effects stop working for the remainder of the mission. Now, usually these effects can be good kind of explosive one-time abilities. Uh, but especially with agenda cards, they're kind of the cream of the crop, in my opinion. Because you use them once and they stick around. And these ones, in my experience, typically tend to cost two influence. But I find that they're, you know, very useful. Uh, Noah, did you have something? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think there's any deplete cards that cost one influence, are there? I have not found any, but I also have not found any that cost three. Yeah, I think it's pretty, I think the designers knew that the deplete ones have so much value because you get to keep using them each mission. So, yeah. Yeah. So they knew they had a lot more value than the original ones. And then of course you have the uh, ones that cost or the ones that are side missions and they go to the side mission deck. And those can basically change up the game a lot because it, it adds a whole new missions worth of gameplay. I guess we could talk about that now. Uh, so if you grab, let's see, the corset has a few of these. So there's the one for Lord Vader's command. So one of the cards here is Dark Obsession, and it costs three influence. And basically, if you say, okay, I'm going to spend three influence, buy Lord Vader's command, buy the Dark Obsession card that I, that I drew, you'll put it in the side missions. And the next time the Rebel players have to go to pick a side mission, they're going to have their original two options there, and they're going to see Lord Vader's command. Now, at this point, the Rebels still pick which of the three missions to do. If they do not pick Lord Vader's command, it says at the card here, after the heroes resolve any other side mission, discard this card and receive the reward listed below, and the reward is the Darth Vader Lord of the Sith villain. So that adds the villain to your possible open groups for further missions in the future. Uh, so that unlocks the villain for the Imperial for the rest of the campaign. If they do choose the mission, then what you've done is you've stopped them from picking a mission that would give them an, a different reward. And you also, uh, if you win the mission, you still get to take Darth Vader Lord of the Sith as your prize. 
Um, and if you lose, then you've still stopped them from getting a specific other side mission reward that they could have gotten. So that's kind of how these side missions work. Not all of them give you villains, though that is the main way to unlock villains in Imperial Assault's campaign mode, is to put them out there and then uh, either hope the Rebels don't pick that mission or they do pick it and you win. But there are also several other side missions that you can put in play, like from the Retaliation set. Uh, you can play the Breaking Point card for 3 Influence. And this one gives you the Supply Deficit Reward card, and it works the same way, where if the Rebels don't pick this side mission and they resolve a different one, you get the reward. And if they do pick it and they lose the mission, you still get it, and that will give you the Supply Deficit Reward, which is just one of those smaller kind of experience-sized cards, same card size as the experience cards from uh, the Rebels heroes. I mean, reward cards are things that I think come around campaign a lot, so you, you might be familiar with those. But that is another way to get reward cards for the Imperials, is to do these side missions that don't give you villains. Now, Noah, I would like your opinion on this, but I think the side missions that give villains are actually not that great. They're... Oh, yeah. They're expensive on how much influence they cost. They're usually three influence, which, you know, is like a deplete card and a half. Or, you know, a one-time card or three of those. The Rebels still get to choose whether or not you even get to play the mission. Like, there's no, I'm going to stop you from, you know, getting this next reward. Um, You, you just kind of leave it up to them. And then even when you get the reward, you get your Darth Vader, you get your Boba Fett, it still costs you one of your open groups to put it into the mission each time you want to bring them. There are some missions where you can't bring certain characters, which is fine, but it is a little limiting. And then, especially with a lot of the earlier villains, they just cost so much that they're not worth bringing out. Like, I know there are other Darth Vader influence cards that help with that, but like 18 threat to bring out Darth Vader. I that's like two elite stormtrooper groups which would take several more actions to take out and you could bring out easier. You know, I mean there's a whole philosophy on how much threat things are worth and what you want to deploy at what times in the game, but like uh just all of that to have a villain that you still kind of have to pay for in every normal method like you would any other card, any other generic unit. Uh, seems like it's not worth spending all your influence on when you could just spend the influence to get a card that does a thing. Instead of get a card that potentially unlocks a new option that still costs the same number of you know, resources as any of your other options. Yeah, it's kind of the same issue that I have with Rebels, Rebel Allies, is that you have to pay twice. Um, I really dislike that you have to pay twice, or in certain cases, win. You have to win win it, you have to earn it, which costs mm -hmm. something, and then you have to pay for it again to deploy it. And, it. and as you said, it also takes up one of your open group slots, so that's an opportunity cost there as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't like the... I don't really like the villain cards. Um, I do like the three cost um, cards that give you rewards because those are just 
most of those rewards are just free to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like those a lot better. I think those are worth three influence a lot of the time because um, some of them are just one shot effects, but some of them are continuous effects, which um, are really valuable. Um, yeah. Do we want to talk about since we're talking about villains? Um, I actually have on my list. There's a few agenda sets that kind of some of the later agenda sets I think rectify this. Um, they still have their three uh, influence villain side missions, which I, again, I don't think are worth it, but a lot of them actually have uh, lower cost agenda cards that give you access to those um, deployments in one way or another. Do we want to talk about those? Because I have those on my list. Yeah, if you want to go into those now, we can. Yeah, I think it's appropriate. Um, so, like, I'm looking at Captain Terrell right now, and um, some of these cards... Um, villains have one or two influence cards and instead of giving you access to a villain what they do is they give you one like a single one shot access to deploy a villain or uh, a deployment card for free in a mission which i think is how they should have worked originally um so like for example captain tarot that has dewback patrol for two influence that lets you deploy a dewback rider for free um, and then you discard the card. That's very powerful. It's a five influence worth or five threat worth of deployments. Um, Greedo has yeah. a similar card. Um, I mean, that's a mini. That's a mini terror right there. Is a dewback rider. Dewbacks are awesome, and getting one yep. free is terrifying. Um, there's a bunch of these that let you deploy one of these villains, but they have kind of a stipulation on them. So, for example, Greedo's is one influence, which is awesome. Because um, means you can always get access to it after each mission. Um, it's also a secret card, and then um, you get to deploy Greedo, but he's tied to a leader. Uh, so if that leader's defeated, then Greedo's defeated. He's actually removed from the mission, but still, that's pretty great. You can deploy Greedo for free, basically. You know, I actually had kind of a rule question on that. What if you? What if you? Oh, never mind. I was going to say, what if you just don't control a leader? Uh, but that's one of the requirements to play the card. So, yeah. Um, let's see. Inquisitor has a similar. Inquisitor card. has one that's really cool. I think it's two influence targeted by the Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of a round during any side mission, if you don't already have the Grand Inquisitor, uh, you just put him in play without paying his cost and you choose a hero. And he's basically hunting down that one hero. He cannot declare any attacks against figures other than the hero. And if the hero gets defeated, the Grand Inquisitor leaves the mission. Yep, so that's cool. nine threat. With a lot of stipulation. Yep, and then Hondo also has one. Um, which is... is it, let's see. Oh yeah, Missing Treasure, which again, one influence, which is great. Um, he can't attack, which kind of sucks. But... The reason that's he's still good is he can scoop up all the the crates on the mission before the rebels can get to them because he doesn't have to spend an action. Uh, it says when you enter a space containing a crate, increase threat by two. Um, I guess he doesn't remove them from play, but he can. Yeah, I don't think he denies them, but it is he can run around and up the threat for you. And he still counts for control. So for certain missions where you need figures to control or to interact, he can still do that. And that makes him valuable. 
just for one influence. Um, the other great thing about these cards is they give you access to those villains even during a mini campaign, which normally you can't get them because you can't do their side missions. Um, so that's really nice to be able to play some of these villains in the mini campaigns. Yeah, I think even like some of the ones that aren't specific villains, uh, there's one for like the Java pack, and it's like, yeah, if you bring a Java, there's a card that just says, yeah, you can deploy it for free once, once during the mission. Mm, yeah. Uh, reduces deployment cost by two. Yeah. And yeah. And normal Java's are two, the elites are three. Um, so I thought that was cool. And then there's another one that basically says when you ion blasters, when you deploy someone, let's see. Yeah. If you deploy a group with the ranged attack type, they get a surge to apply strain to the opponent. If it did not miss, uh, that's kind of what the Java's already do. So like some of these cards just kind of give you the thematic abilities of the cards of these villains uh, Java's not being specific villains, but like going back to Captain Tarot, his other card is you give a unit a flamethrower, like Captain Tarot has. So mm-hmm. It's like, okay, you want the Tarot flamethrower? You know, here, this is on one card. If you just want to be on a two back and run around mounted, here is a free do back rider on the other card. Yeah, I mean, super awesome on like a stormtrooper or something. Um... Yeah. Because if you put it on a Stormtrooper group, they all have that ability. Oh my god. Three damage and three strain from one activation, and everyone gets weakened? Uh-huh. That is kind of insane. Probably best on, like, an elite Stormtrooper group, so they can only... Yeah. Because otherwise they can probably kill most of them, but... I think I'm gonna keep the tarot set in mind now. Yeah. That's That sounds fun. It's really good. And honestly, like, Tarot is a villain that I would actually be happy to put in my open groups and pay to deploy. He's just so good. The last campaign I did, I ran the Nemesis, um, you know, Imperial deck, and Tarot was one of the two picks I took at the beginning of the campaign. And he, he became the scorn of, of the Rebels. Because he would show up, be too hard to kill in one activation, Especially if I had like a side mission where he would deploy like as an open deployment for a reduced threat, and then just be like, "Well, no matter what your first you know hero does, the other three and your ally are going to be grouped up." So here's a flamethrower. Yeah, and speaking of like adding gaining figures abilities, um, BT One and Triple Zero have similar cards like that. You get access to the missile salvo, which is really cool. Gives you three attacks. Um, mm-hmm. you can't do it more than once because you have to You, they fixed it where you it's not an attachment, you discard it to gain the ability, so a single instance but it's still pretty cool um, Yeah, and I would actually say triple zero is another one that I would be willing to pay three threat to gain access to um, just having that shocking palm and invasive procedure is uh, really good for four, for four points, you know, he's cheap. And, and he's pretty hard to kill with eight health. <clears throat> yeah. That's yeah, I agree. So I, I've had to readjust my, like, um, durability matrix for figures <laughs> from playing campaign versus skirmish because... 
things just hit so much harder in skirmish, and the heroes do not hit hard in campaign. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of feels like they did the other night for me, but hmm. I'm sure it's kind of like once I get over the five health threshold is when I'll start seeing them take more than one shot to take out things. Yeah. It's all punch dagger and all those pierces and plus ones. Punch dagger is really good. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, okay, what's our next... Uh... What's our next category? I was actually going to say, so we've been talking about the side missions. Uh, In the core game, there are also two forced mission cards that you can take. Oh, yeah, that's a good one to talk about. And they, looks like those ones cost four influence, which is the highest out of any cost in the game. I don't know that any other cards have four influence. Uh, The difference with a forced mission is that it's like you, you pay... You put the card out there and you say, okay, uh, our next mission is this now. We're, it's forced. It's extra. And I think these, I think it's only these two. Uh, Noah, do you know if there's any other besides the first two that they put in the core game? Um, let me check. I can use my campaign tracker to check what the forced missions are. Okay. Yeah, there's one on the core set for the right price agenda set. Uh, makes you play a mission called Wanted. And then there's another one that makes you play Impounded. And these are forced missions. I think it's... So the one for Impounded gives you a attachment called Special Operations if you win. And it's for leaders only you just get an action to increase threat by one. So that seems kind of potent if you put that on like an Imperial officer who has nothing better to do. Just increase threat while he kind of does officer things. And then old wounds. While a wounded hero is attacking, apply minus one to the attack results. Oh my god. Old wounds sounds kind of really good. That's like a that's a snowball effect right there. The more heroes you get wounded, the stronger that ability becomes. And it's just a minus one damage passive on top of how like crippled wounded heroes kind of become as the mission goes on. So that one seems like it might be worth it. I can see how you have to get over the hurdle of wounding a hero or two to make it worth it. And this doesn't help you wound them to begin with. But I think I think that wanted actually is a very strong effect now that I'm looking at it. Uh, but the thing with force missions is that they are in addition to whatever you are already going to play. So if you have an eight mission campaign and five missions in, you say, okay, I buy wanted from for the right price. The next mission is wanted now. Uh, we basically put the rest of the campaign on pause, and we're doing this mission right now. And I'm going to try and win it, I'm going to try and get this card, and this is now a nine-mission campaign. <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing, I'm looking at the other Force missions. The only ones I see are Into the Unknown, which I believe is from the ISB Infiltrators pack, and Captured, which I believe is a story-based Force mission from the course. Yeah, I think it's funny that they have captured and they also have one called impounded. But I think captured is from the story. It's like 
you have a mission and then you lose it and then there's another mission where it's like you're on the imperial starship and you try to escape and i think if you lose that in the core set it's like okay well now you've actually just been thrown in prison and now you got to do prison break mission as an extra mission i think i got to that that game state once and my players were not happy with needing to do another mission on top of a 12 mission campaign because it had been going on for a long while. Oh, interesting. Into the Unknown is a gray rebel side mission. So that's, uh, and that comes from the ISP Infiltrator pack, which you don't usually see. Um, Empire expansions coming with um, rebel side missions. So I didn't realize that. Um, that's interesting. Huh. That's a force mission only in the Bespin Gambit campaign. That's what the, it's referred to as a force a force mission in the rule set. But um, oh, okay, so that one is like the one of the ones you can use to expand that mission that campaign. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, those are the only two agenda sets that have force missions. Um, I'll give you my opinion on force missions. I hate them. Um, yeah, they don't seem fun for the rebels to, or for people that just want to like get to the end of the game, and then you're like, by the way, this week we're not making progress. I'm making you do more. Because you don't get any rewards for playing them, other than if the imperial player wins, they get that one card. They they literally yeah. give no. I, I'm pretty sure. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but they don't give any XP or credits or influence, right? I think that might have been part of it. I just remember my Rebels really hating it the one time I did this, like, five or six years ago. It wasn't even I did it. It was the story that did it. It was the uh, Captured one. But, yeah. Yeah, and I, I remember cap- Captured is really annoying. Um, but also, like, I don't think this reward is worth for influence. Which one? Special Operations. Old Wounds, maybe. Um might be worth for influence. I would actually just give my rebels a chance and say, hey, this mission's not doing anything other than giving me this. Do you want to not play it? <laughs> and just give it to me? <laughs> or do we have to go through this? <laughs> you want to save three or four hours? <laughs> yeah, because it's a, it's a lot to play a whole mission and then get nothing for it. Yeah. Are I guess normal. from the design standpoint, what you're doing is the Imperial played a, paid a lot for it and this is your chance to... Your reward is stopping them from getting this reward. But that doesn't feel good. Um, do these play into mini-campaigns, or do these get taken out, right? Uh, you take anything that... Ooh, that's a good question. That's a good question. I think you take them out. I think you take them out. I hope you take them out. I assume you take them out. Um... Let's see. Mini campaign. So. Mission. Yep. Yeah, well, um, my, my mini campaign setup says return all cards that are agenda uh, side or force missions. So. And okay. I, cop- yeah, I copied says... mine from the official rules, so. Yeah, then. Then that sounds about right. Um, hopefully, because just in general, I I would just see the picture on the card and be like, oh, that's one of the ones you don't include. Yep. Okay, we got 
I think we stayed on topic, but we got a little sidetracked there. Uh, So we did the forced missions, secret versus public we did. So, okay. So next was going to be when to use different agenda cards. Uh, When to use your secret ones, right? Because you have ones that stay in play all the time and you choose when to use them. Some of them, you can use them every mission. But it's when do you want to use those one-time abilities that are going to get discarded out of the rest of the campaign forever or shuffled back into your deck? And I think it depends on whether or not you're playing with a house rule. It's not really a house rule, but in one of the later campaigns, I think it's Tyrants of Lothal, they introduced a rule for agenda cards that says that the Imperial player cannot have more than four agenda cards at any given time between the different zones. So between their hand, the open play area, I think side mission counts. Uh, but the idea is, I guess, in older campaigns, you would like have a 12-mission core campaign, and the Imperial player would just secretly buy more and more and more cards and maybe get one or two of the depletes, and then get to the finale and have six to eight influence cards with them and just be like, okay, well, this gets an extra attack. Uh, this hero gets this debuff for the rest of the game. This, you know, these guys are focused, and I'm going to add another effect on them and play like eight things and just completely overwhelm the players in the finale. And the finale is the one that determines the entire campaign. So I think it was Tyrants of Lothal where they introduced a new rule that says, hey, the Imperial can't have more than four at once. So as you're going through the campaign, you you get the agenda cards you want. You're kind of more incentivized to use them, because if you don't, then you're going to wind up with more influence and not anything to spend it on. Or you're going to find something else to spend it on, and you're going to have to pitch one of the ones that you already have. It was it was Jabba's Rome. Jabba's Rome added that? Yep. Has it been in all the guides since then? Uh, I think so. Okay, because I think I saw it in Lothal. Maybe I saw it in Heart. Uh, but it, it was added in Java's Realm, so several expansions before the last one. <laughs> and ideally, I think it was such a good house rule that ideally uh, it's kind of accepted that that's something that a lot of people want to play with in all campaigns, regardless of whether it's the Java's Realm one or not whether it's Heart of the Empire or not. Um, Just limiting the amount of agenda cards the Empire can use at once in the finale by making it so they can only kind of stockpile four. Because four kind of feels like already like a lot of trap cards to have. Uh, So hopefully, you know, that is a way to kind of balance the influence system against that that oppression in the final mission being overwhelming. And so my opinion is if you've got three or four agendas and you're kind of figuring out how much influence you're going to get, and you kind of know in your deck, what kind of cards you still want to get. I think you use the one time use agenda cards. uh, When you think they're going to help you win a mission. And when you think that you're coming close to, needing to pitch one anyways to get the next agenda card you want. 
So no, I don't know if you have any tips on when you should use some of these types of cards. Um, you know, I don't usually buy them. <laughs> I am one of those people who will pretty much only buy depletes, but the rule that makes limits you to four means that doesn't work either, which is why it's such mm -hmm. a great rule, because otherwise I would be one of the people that had uh, six or seven agenda cards that I had been using all campaign and still had for the finale. Um, so that's that rule is targeting. For discard cards, I do I do think some of them are worth it. Like I mentioned, the um, the ones that give you free deployments, the ones that give you th extra threat um, are ones that I tend to take or to decrease the threat cost of a figure. And so timing those, you know, having a plan for how you're going to use those, um, I think is really important and is really helpful. Um, looking at the mission ahead of time and saying, okay, I know I'm going to have X threat during each of these rounds based on the mission conditions. So I'm going to plan my my big deployment around this turn when this happens and I'll get all this other deployment. Just kind of timing it right so that it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is about timing it so that you can kind of get a massive boost. Um, because one of the things to keep in mind is you know, whether you win or lose each mission determines your rewards for that mission, which helps you in the next mission. So really you do want to use it, like you said, when you can kind of snowball towards a victory in a particular mission. So it's really, you want to have that feeling of being the Empire when you, you know, like, I just keep thinking there's this one card that when you wound a hero, you select two of your other guys to get focused. And it's like a one influence card. And it's like, that just seems kind of perfect. Where you wound somebody and then your guys all get a strong boost. And now you are so much closer to wounding the next rebel. And I cannot remember what that card is called. Or which set it's from at the moment. But. Uh, oh, here it is. Impending Doom from Imperial Discipline. From the core set. Keep this card secret. Play it when a hero becomes wounded during any mission. Choose up to two Imperial figures. Those figures become focused. Then you either discard the card or shuffle it back into the agenda deck. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So yeah, we. I was talking about the card called Impending Doom, which is from the core set, and it's from the Imperial Discipline agenda set. So you keep this card secret. Play it when a hero becomes wounded. You choose up to two Imperial figures, they become focused. Then you either discard the card or shuffle it back into the agenda deck. It costs one influence. I remember when I did a campaign, I took this card, and the reason I took it is knowing, like, hey, I can only take four cards at once. I kind of know what depletes I want to take, and I'm going to have one left over, you know, one influence left over for the next few missions. So I'll take this now. And I didn't save it for the finale because I knew I could only have four. If I could have saved it for the finale, then, oh God, um, you know, all the things you can do at once. But like, this is one of those cards that you play it when you get some traction. And now you have two more super threatening figures on the board that can threaten a second KO almost immediately. And 
I think I played this like in the third or fourth mission when I got a wound because it brought me so much closer to winning that mission, which would get me more rewards for the next several missions. Um, but the reason I played that way is kind of because I was influenced by the max four at the end, you know, max four at a time rule. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, it's a good rule because I think otherwise there's some broken stuff you can do with agendas without that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I see now the reason I took it is because it was in the same set as Fire at Will. <laughs> so that's why it was in the deck to begin with. Yep. But we'll get to that. Um, so, yeah, I think you should be using whoever, whether you're the Imperial player or your friend, uh, you should talk to them about using the Jabba's Realm house rule on maximum number of agenda cards at once. Because that kind of balances, especially the finale, it balances how you play. Yeah, a lot of the expansions have these like additional rules, and I think it's just a good idea to like go through. You can go to FFG's website and look at the rule books for all the expansions, and um, they have additional rules, and you should really just apply all of them to whatever campaign you're playing, because yeah. most of them are just quality of life improvements. And I think the two big ones are the agenda set rule, max four at a time, and then there is the rule on deploying allies using the the way where they get delayed threat, and that's all. That's a whole thing. So we don't need to, we don't need to go into how that works right now. But nope. the alternate ally alternate ally deploying rules are also a good one to kind of fix some of the issues with that system. All right, should we? We're running a little long. Should we talk about what people actually want to know? Is what what cards should they put in their deck? Yeah, yeah. Did you want to go first? Um, I have a few. Yeah, I can go first. Um, let's see. So the first one I have is uh, Agents of the Empire. So this is from the core set. And I like, I'm going to talk in kind of an order starting the core set. Um, I like Tracking Beacon. Uh, this is one influence. Place it in the cart in your play area at the start of each Imperial upgrade stage. So after each mission, the heroes can spend 300 credits to discard this card. If they don't, you draw an additional agenda card during the stage. Um, I think that's a nice little snowball um, to have. I think maybe it's not as good anymore now with the four agenda limit as it used to be, um, but I like stuff that like the rebels have to spend. And actually, you know what? I think I'm thinking of a different one. Maybe it wasn't Tracking Beacon. I think I was thinking of pulling the strings. So actually, let me go to that one. Yeah, for Tracking Beacon, I'd actually looked at this while preparing for this episode, and I just thought, like, I had the opposite opinion. Like, why am I going to spend an influence to just look at one more card in my deck each time when the, you know, Rebels, one, can pay to get rid of it, but two, I can only have a few cards at a time anyways. Like, it just felt like it wasn't worth spending the currency, um... But also, I think the games I've played recently have had less influence than the older campaigns. Oh, Part of the Empire tends to give out reward cards instead reward cards instead of influence in some missions. Okay, which is the sorry. Last campaign I did. Yeah, so that's the bad one. Here's the good one. This is from Royal Guard Champion. 
One okay. of you pulling the strings. Place this card in your play area at the start of each Imperial upgrade stage. The Rebels may spend 300 credits to discard this card. If they do not, you receive one influence. So Ooh. this one is the one that's much better um, because it's that is amazing. influence. Yeah. Um, and the Rebels, I have found, are very reluctant to spend that 300 credits because usually that's the credits they need to buy that shiny new thing uh, mm-hmm. in the Armory. Especially if they're only getting like 400 credits uh, a mission in some of the campaigns, like that's all of their their pull. That's all their take from the mission, or at least half half of it. Um, so this one is very good, and um, either will cripple your rebels' buying power for a turn, or it will just generate a ton of influence for you. Yeah, um, and I think really quick something to mention is. I don't know what makes you pick a set, but for me, it's, hey, is there one card I want in here? Because I'll just take the whole set. Yeah, I found for most of the Jenna sets, it's usually like one card that's good that I'm taking it for, and the rest are not. I'm not interested in buying. And you're just yeah. kind of hoping you see the cards that you want when you have the influence to buy them. Mm-hmm. Um, next one I have is the Empire's Reach, which is from Twin Shadows, actually. Um, the one I like here is to influence for data security. Uh, deplete this card during any mission. After Rebel, Rebel Figure declares a tech attribute test, and you apply minus one search results, and then the figure suffers one strain. Um, so this is quite the blowout I found for certain missions where your Rebels think they are going to uh, interact with the thing they need to, and all of a sudden they fail. The, uh, their attribute test, and it can really... It basically undoes their, their action. Yeah. And the one strain is a nice little F you on top of that. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, even if they roll two surges and pass anyways, you know, still one strain. Mm-hmm. Although not every mission uses wrench tests, so... Yeah, that's true, but I've found they're common enough that you'll see them at least once or twice in a campaign. Okay. So I think that one's good. Um, let's see what else I have. And then the last one I have that I like is Defensive Tactics from Return to Hoth. Mm. And I actually like two cards in this that I think are worth taking. First one is Counter-Strike for one influence. Um, it's a secret card. Um, you can spend one influence while this card is uh, in play. While Imperial Figure is defending... Uh, to apply plus one block, plus one evade the defense results. After the attack resolves, the attack did not. If the attack, if the target did not suffer any damage, the attacker suffers three damage. Then discard this card. So it actually costs two influence, but it's nice that you can split it up. Um, you split up the cost, so you can pick it up when you only have one, and then later you can actually use it for one influence. Um, and then the nice thing is, you it's a wall defending. So you get to see what the dice roll looks like and then what any modifiers the rebels apply. And then you can use this card. And so what you'll typically do is use it to cancel out all the damage. You know, if you have just enough uh, blocks on your defense dice that they would deal no damage if you add the block in that you evade, that's when you use it. And then the attacker suffering three damage um, is really nice because it's they're suffering it usually at the end of their activation. They don't they won't be able to rest it off, and then you can kind of dogpile them um, when you activate your next group. 
and kind of get a surprise wound on them sometimes, as well as keeping a figure that might have died, you know. Um, and then the same thing, personal shield generator is very similar um, to influence, uh, but it's nice because it's deplete. Deplete when an attack is targeting imperial figures, declared to apply plus three blocks. So oftentimes this will give you an activation that you would have lost if the uh, rebel players, you know, would have defeated that figure, but adding three blocks will oftentimes keep it alive. And that's an extra attack, basically, that you wouldn't have had later in the round. And because it's a deplete, you get this once permission. Yeah, I do think, I mean, the shield generators are better than Counter-Strike, but I think Counter-Strike is, yeah. is worth considering, honestly, um, just because the, the, the three damage is what really makes it nice. Yeah. And with Counter-Strike, I think there are several cards that work like that, where you pay one up front, and then you pay one later to use it. And I think that's um, that was their initial way to be like, oh, the secret cards always cost one influence, so the Rebels really don't know what you took, they just knew how much influence you spent. But really, this is a two-influence card with a huge impactful effect. Uh, yeah, that's interesting, because the other secret one is one influence as well, so... That's mm-hmm. kind of neat. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's cool design tech. Yeah, I think that was in their rule book somewhere. Something I've read a while ago. Huh. Well, those are the ones I kind of like. Um, I guess I didn't talk about... Um, you had mentioned it, but Fire at Will. Yeah. Yep. Um, fire at, fire at Will one. plus... Let's see, what is it? Discipline. Oh, I guess I skipped one of mine. Fire at Will lets you... Um, after figure resolves activation, choose a trooper. Trooper performs attack, and you apply plus one surge. This combined with uh, what is that card? Um, sustained fire from the military might um, class yeah. deck. Like, so one thing really... I wanted to mention is that you can build your deck to synergize with your class deck as well. Yeah. So fire at will is from Imperial Discipline, which is in the core set. This is an influence card, like you just said it, you get an extra attack. And it synergizes well with the military might, which focuses on troopers and getting a lot of them on the field. Uh, but I also want to point out, before I let you continue, just that you're always going to have troopers in like every campaign, ever. So this is always just going to wind up being an extra attack in some way or another at some point in your campaign. So I think it's worth it either way. Yeah, so that plus sustained fire gives you can let you perform two extra attacks in an activation, which is insane. And then I also there's also one I couldn't find that was um, it basically gives one of your figures like um, parting strike parting gift or parting blow. Yeah, um, that's from Hired Guns, Nefarious Dealings Final Blast. Yeah, Final Blast. That one is awesome because that's also deplete. Um, and when, during any mission, when one of your non-unique figures has suffered damage equal to its health, before it is defeated, it may interrupt to perform an attack. I will point out that it does not then say, then it is defeated. So if you have a, a surge for recover, you can actually keep your figure alive with this. Um, That's crazy. <laughs> let's, say, let's say I ratted it. Because there were some they ratted and some they didn't, but I'm pretty sure Final Blast did not get ratted. That's crazy. I'm gonna look it up, but in the meantime, I don't know how many generic units have recover, but 
Uh, not too many. I think the wing guard have it. Oh, yeah. The wing guard from Bespin Gambit. And then there are some... I think there's some agenda cards or some class cards that give it to a figure as an attachment. But I remember there was ways to do it because I've, I've definitely done it. <laughs> um, I think you talked about uh, the Vader one. Vader, you have on your list. Oh, that's right. Um, Dark Power. So where is... Yeah, so and Dark that's Power is core. Yeah, from Corset. It's two influence for a discard, which is not what I usually want to be doing. If I'm picking up a single-use card, it's usually going to be one influence, but it gives you five threat worth of ability. Um, when you uh, play it during optional deployment, during this deployment, reduce the deployment cost of one group by five, then discard this card. Uh, I think this is awesome if you want to play like an expensive figure. I wouldn't use it on Vader, for sure. I would never... Bring Vader in a... <laughs> I'd never pay threat for Vader, but... <laughs> if you want to bring something like a Rancor or an ATDP, like, those are certainly powerful enough to be worth considering. Also, mm -hmm. like, anything that costs more than five, like, if you can deploy, a, again, a Dubak Rider for, for free is worth two, two influence, in my opinion. Um, a Elite Sentry Droids for three... Like, those mm -hmm. are insane. Uh, those are mini-bosses. Like, it lets you deploy those mini-boss figures um, for, for close to nothing or very little yeah. threat. And uh, it can be very powerful. Even elite stormtroopers. Yeah, you could do it with elite stormtroopers. Um, anything, really, because you're, you're saving the five threat no matter what you choose. You could do it with, uh, with the military might has a... XP card where when you deploy troopers it costs one less. Mm, yep. You get a six point discount. Yep, yep. So yeah, I do think that one is is pretty good if you have to bring Vader's agenda deck. Yeah, and that's one of those where I think you see the one good card and then you have two kind of dead cards in your deck, but you bring it anyways hoping to get the one good card. Yeah, I will say, if you have expansion content, I think some of the later ones are better where you don't have dead cards. Um, like, you'll have the one good card, but the other two are, like, pretty good, and you pick, it, pick them up at the end of the campaign if you have leftover influence. It's probably better to do that, but I just I do like this uh, Dark Power card, because I, I like to deploy the big flashy enemies <laughs> in my campaigns. I think they're that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I had one campaign where I actually, it was a side mission late in the campaign, the Boba Fett, and I was able to deploy two ATSTs at the same time <laughs> in the same mission. And uh, that was my favorite uh, mission I ever ran. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Two ATSTs. And I think I had to use this card to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and I think. Like, there's one more from the core set that I want to bring up, and it's on your list, too. But I think a, a good general guiding tip here is that a lot of the stuff from the core set's good. Not all of it, but you should... I usually start looking at the core set because I know that there's, like, two or three sets from here that I could take if I don't know what to take. 
Um, we talked about uh, Fire at Will. We talked about the, the Vader one. And we also need to talk about Retaliation. Because that set has weakness revealed. Oh, yeah. And I thought we talked about This that. is yeah. like a crazy good deplete for two influence. You play it in your play area at the start of any round during any mission. You may choose one hero. While attacking, that hero applies minus one to the attack results. While defending, the hero gets minus one block to the defense results. And you deplete at the end of the round. This card has done so much for me. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, this this set, actually, I, I think all the cards in this set are good. Yeah, I think even uh, the, the side mission, Breaking Point, to get Supply Deficit, you know, like you said, heroes don't want to spend credits on not powering up. Um, but the reward card is at the start of each mission, the heroes may spend 100 credits. If they do not, each hero suffers two strain. So right off the bat, you just strain them up if they don't pay up. And that's a win-win. That's You gotta go through the extra step of breaking point, playing that mission to get it, but that's good. And then I'm not familiar with tactical explosives. Oh, that is um, one influence, secret. Uh, you can play it at the end of a round during any mission. Choose one space on the map. Each figure within three spaces tests insight. Each figure who fails suffers three damage and becomes bleeding, then discard or shuffle. Um, maybe not as good as I originally thought, because now I see you have to play it at the end of a round, so you can't do it in the middle of the round when they're possibly all bunched up. I guess that wouldn't be fair, because they start bunched up at the <laughs> at the start of the round one. So, um, But I think usually you could probably catch two rebels with this, and if you can yeah. catch the ones that don't have good insight tests, you'll... Uh, three damage and especially bleeding is nasty. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It looks good. I think I I just worry about things like this that you know they get us some good die rolls and then it's a big nothing burger. That's true. But it's not terrible. Like I would take this sometimes, especially because weakness revealed is so good. Um, Another thing we, you can do with it, though, tactical explosives, is anytime you can force a rebel to suffer, to take a test, um, if they have focus abilities, you can use that to clear their focus. Mm. Which is kind of sometimes worth it. <laughs> yeah. At least they're not attacking you with that focus. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, true? Yeah, okay. I see what you mean now. Um, I was going to say, though, weakness revealed is the reason you should always have four heroes in your loadout and not three or two. Oh, yeah, that really punishes that. Yeah. Um, last campaign I did, I got weakness revealed, and they were playing with three. Didn't want to go to four. And just because of the timing, you played at the start of the round, and the heroes have to pick, I think, at the end of the round what what guy gets two tokens next round if they're doing three players. So then I just go, okay, it's, you know, I think it would be like Verona. I'd be like, okay, Verona's going to go twice this round. Weakness revealed her. That's four attacks with minus one damage. And I'm just going to pummel her with minus one block for the entire round. By the way, are you talking about Verena? Verena, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, especially even in even if they have four, like there's certain heroes that are doing extra attacks or just attacking multiple times an activation typically that this can be really good against. Also, this would be awesome against Jared, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's um at the end of the mission, this is one of the cards I drew that I wanted that if I'd uh, won the mission I could have afforded. <laughs> yep, yep. I see. So I hope I get it next mission. It's like a just under a one in three chance. It's just for one round, though, right? Yeah, it's for one round, but it's every mission. So the earlier you can pull this into your repertoire, the better. Yeah, that's, that makes sense. But still, like, you know, one round of this, and I'm going to focus on him with my class cards anyways. Uh, if I can wound him in the one round, then I've dealt with that problem, you know. Like, this card seems like it helps you deal with one of your four problems each mission, which is each rebel. I'm going to talk about one more um, car, one more set before I pass it off to you, and then um, we can move on. But uh, the last one I'm going to talk about is, and I, I think I wrote, oh yeah, I wrote this down, um, Imperial Industry. Hmm. Um, so I actually banned this card. <laughs> And uh, I've been meaning to make a video of cards I banned from my campaigns, but this is, like, the top of the list. Um, mainly because of the three influence uh, means of production that gives you the Imperial Industry reward. Um, this is one of the cards that that I mentioned combos with uh, Final Blast or whatever that's, that one is called. But on its own, it gives each of your figures... It's an attachment. Each figure in this group can surge for stun... Surge plus one, surge recover two, and surge for gain two movement points. Uh, giving two to three figures surge for stun is uh, insane. And the fact that you can redeploy it whenever you want as an attachment, it if you stun two rebels a turn with this, uh, they are not winning any mission Wow, that, that they play against. The, uh, that's my experience. If you're taking away two actions from, from the rebel team as a whole, it just becomes a slog and impossible to win. So. I have not looked at this. That, yeah, that's a side mission worth uh, paying three influence for. Yeah, so if you want to curb stomp your rebels, um, take this one. Uh, but <laughs> that's why I recommend uh, not using it if you want to play a fair campaign. Yeah. Uh, restorative supplies is also good. Um, I used to take that a lot, but you know, unfortunately, you can also just ban a means of production specifically if you want to take restorative supplies because that card is pretty good, especially if you're like me and you like to play big expensive enemies and not just always swarm mm. little dudes. Um, but uh, yeah, means of production, broken. Anyway, all right, let's yeah, go to yours and then we can wrap it up. Yeah, um, well, I think we've we've gone over most of mine as well. Uh, call your shot... Yeah, I don't Imperial think I, discipline. Did, did we talk about that. Well, I don't think that? we about Java. Java. Which one is Can this? Headhunting or Java's orders? Oh, do... I think Java's oh. orders. Oh, I was going to talk about for the right price, high value target. Oh, okay. So this is also from the core set. Um, this is a pretty simple one, but it's another good deplete. Deplete this card when you wound a hero, or when you defeat a hero, increase threat by the threat level. 
So later in the campaign, as long as you can get one wound on the heroes, that's four or five threat per mission for two influence. That's a good one. Yeah. And then you said something about... We said something about Jabba? Yeah, you have in the notes Jabba plus... Mm. First plus call your shot. Okay, so... First, 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 call your yeah, uh, so Jabba's Realm has one called Guild Hunters, and I've heard this name a few times, so I took a look at it. Okay, Call Your Shot is one from Guild Hunters. It's two influence, uh, but it's keep it secret, play it during any mission when a figure is defending, to apply minus one dodge or minus three defense to the results, then discard this card. Oh, I see. It's from Jabba's Realm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so... Call Your Shot is one of those, it's two influence, so it's a little high, but it's a one-time, you know, the Rebels are going to block a lot of damage. You can just turn this into, this Rebel's defeated. Like, mm. you roll four or five damage, and, you know, the enemy with a white die rolls a dodge. Uh, that hero's dodge is just gone. And now they're wounded. Is this the other one you were hoping to draw? No, uh, the other one I wanted to draw last time was uh, fire the the trooper extra attack with a surge. Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah. that's just a, a one I always take. And then, uh, and then shoot, shoot first. first. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, to influence, uh, keep it in secret, play at the start of a round. An Imperial group may interrupt to perform an activation, then discard this card. So this is just because you always deploy things and then the rebels get to go first every round and they can usually take out the highest threat thing before it can go. Mm-hmm. And the right situation, you're, you could just devastate the rebels by going first before something like one of your glass cannon units can get destroyed. You know, maybe you can shoot and run away or maybe you can attack the rebels, wound them, cut their ability to shoot your guys back and get out of there. And just apply, you know, it's kind of like the take initiative of influence cards. Yeah, this card seems really good. Um, Single use for two influence is a lot, but um, I could see this, like, changing the tide of a mission. Yeah, I think both call your shot and shoot first can turn the tide of a mission, depending. But shoot first, definitely. So, Guild Hunter seems like a good one to keep in the back of your mind. Ooh, I'm looking at Persistence, Snapfire. That gives you an extra attack for two influence as well. Although it's discard, not deplete. Hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else do you have? That's about it. Um, I was going to talk about just the idea that some influence cards, some agenda cards, synergize well with certain class decks. I was going to give a few examples, like we talked about Fire at Will and how it works with uh, the Military Might. Uh, Military Might just being all about troopers and Fire at Will. You know, you talked about that combo. Uh, I think it also... Let's see. I wanted to talk about uh, the Technological Superiority is a class deck that works with a lot of attachments and gets bonuses for having attachments. And mm-hmm. Military Might is also about troopers. And there was a card called 501st Training from the Stormtrooper pack, if you do the side mission in that. And it gives figures in the group 
the ability to perform an attack and then gain two movement points, or double action to recover three and become focused. So I don't think alone this is the hugest um, upgrade, but I think it just goes to show like the synergy you can get between different things. And plus, action to attack and then move two is... I think that's kind of worth it in a lot of cases. Is if, if you're going to work with troopers as your main focus, or as attachments. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That was really it, just the idea that you can find things that synergize with different things. Um, so I saw, like, there was a set called Natural Warfare from Hoth. It specifically works with creatures. Uh, let's see. Natural Warfare. So you've got Bestial Fury. Keep this card a secret. Play it during any mission at the end of a round. And again, this is from Return to Hoth. So you choose a creature at the end of a round. That figure may perform an attack. Apply plus one search to the results. Then the attacker becomes bleeding and weakened. Then you discard the card. And then there's Unchained. Uh, you deplete this card when you deploy a creature during an optional deployment. The creature may interrupt to perform a move. Then choose a hostile figure adjacent to the creature. That figure suffers one damage. So, like, this works, you know, if you want to play a Nexu and have it move up to the Rebels and then just do a free damage and be in position to attack next round. But I just wanted to get at, you know, amazing or just okay. This works with, like, say, the Jabba's Realm, Bounty Hunters, um, Imperial Class deck. Because this has a lot of... That deck has a lot of cards that work only with scum figures. And creatures tend to be scum figures. That, that makes sense. So, I think to kind of sum it up, um, recap... Oh, one thing I want to say also is... Um, for agendas, I think you want to be sparing and judicious with how you spend your influence... Um, I think you want to really wait for the good cards and don't necessarily just spend your influence on whatever cards you can in the moment. Um, you know, wait for the good cards to show up and then you'll get more value out of rather than just buying whatever random stuff you see. Um, and I think to kind of recap our lessons here, um, go for the cards that give repeated value, so deplete cards and mission rewards from the three influence um, sets. Uh, avoid the villain um, three XP or three influence cards. Uh, look for, if you're playing with the custom rule of only having four agendas, make sure that your fourth agenda you buy is not a persistent one that you can't get rid of. Uh, <laughs> you want to have three, usually three persistent ones and then have a rotating discard uh agenda for your fourth that you can mm -hmm. play each mission and then um pick your pick your spots when you're using your one single use cards so you're getting maximum value out of them when you do play them and uh i think the other thing i'll say is just kind of look through the decks you know even as you're playing your intro mission before you get to buy any of them and just kind of pick the ones that look fun and interesting um i think you can't go too wrong but you know, when you see the strong one, if you see even one single really strong card you really want in a set, put that set in because you'll probably f draw it at some point during the campaign. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are all good tips. 
right, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Yep, uh, thanks, everyone, and I hope this helps. <laughs>